0: So, Romans chapter 5, starting from verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood,
1: Well, thank you, Rika, Um, and good morning, everyone. Let me add my welcome to Joe's. It's great to see um, all of you here today, and you should find um, an outline in in the middle of your notice sheet. Jesus was speaking to a crowd by a lake and told them this parable. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went out and sold all he had and bought that field. Imagine this man, probably a a farm worker, going about his work in the field and he finds this treasure, looks around to make sure that no one's seen him and then he quickly hides it again and then he goes out and sells everything he has to buy that field. From the outside, people would be looking on saying, what on earth is he doing? How is he going to eat? Where will he sleep? Why on earth is he selling all his stuff? Is he mad? Why is he risking it all to buy this field? But of course, he knows the treasure he has found is worth giving up everything for and so in his joy he went out and sold everything he had and he bought that field he has such joy that he he impoverishes himself he totally changes his life and yet he has complete joy complete contentment utter pleasure and delight now let me tell you what jesus says in john 15 He says to his disciples, I feel like that, and I want you to feel like that too. Well, how do we? Because this is all we want in life, isn't it? Joy, contentment, pleasure, and delight. Well, Jesus says, you can have it. Now, perhaps you're a Christian, and you know something of this joy. You've experienced times of contentment and delight but you're not really feeling it at the moment or perhaps you're not a Christian and you think that you found that joy in other things but deep down you know that it won't last and it's not the real thing and you're thinking what on earth are they talking about true joy contentment pleasure and delight just can't exist in this world it's too hard it's too messed up well, Paul says in Galatians 5 that joy is a guaranteed promise, something that you can possess now and have forever. And we're going to prove it from Romans 5. So turn back there if you have turned away. Paul is going to show us that there is one big thing that is true of Christians, which means that they can have joy. Read with me from verse 1. <coughs> Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. The chapter starts with the assertion that we are justified by faith. This has been the arguments of chapters 1 to 4 of Romans so far. We all stand in court before the judge. In Romans 1 verse 23, it says, we exchanged the glory of God for idols. We chose to look for meaning and delight in created things rather than in the creator himself. We rejected him, said, I don't want anything to do with you. I'm fine on my own. I'll live life the way I think it should be lived." And so everyone stands before God the Judge, guilty. But what does Paul say of the Christian? We have been justified through faith. Jesus had a perfect record. He comes into court, pushes us to one side, stands in our place and he takes the guilty verdict dying for us and not only that but his perfect record is now ours and through him we're not only not guilty but God looks on us as he looks on his own son we are at peace with him we can relax we're secure in our status before God who we can now call father so what's the one big thing that is true of Christians which means they can have joy Well they have a sorted relationship with God through Jesus. And what does this relationship give you? Well, it gives you hope. End of verse 2. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. How does having hope then work for joy? Well, there are lots of things in my life, in your life, that might seem a little bit hopeless. It could be that your job's fine, but you're not quite sure what you're accomplishing. Or we look around the world and see the next war, the next unsolved problem, or just all sorts of chaos. And we think, if you wanna find your joy here, you're really gonna struggle. Where are you gonna get delight and contentment and pleasure amongst all this? I mean, maybe, yeah, you can grab a little bit of pleasure here and there, a bit of contentment from a relationship or well being, a bit of delight in a thing, but it's also fleeting. It disappears so quickly, and ultimately, we all die. But look at this you've got hope. Hope for the future. Philippians 3 says, But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await Jesus from there, who will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. In 1 Peter, Peter calls it a living hope, an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you. There won't be any of those fleeting, empty pleasures, but lasting, eternal pleasure. And you can have it, because of the one big thing. We have Jesus. We have a sorted relationship with God through him. So because that is true now, in the present, Paul can write, we rejoice in this hope for the future. But hang on a minute, it's all well and good having joy in hope for the future now, but what about those sufferings in our life now? Don't our sufferings threaten to rob us of our joy? Well, not only does Paul say rejoice despite your sufferings, but rejoice in your sufferings. Well, why on earth would we do that? Well, verse 3. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. Suffering produces patient endurance, which in turn produces character, which in turn produces hope. Through our sufferings, God teaches us to let go of this world and trying to find joy in it, and instead to cling on to the one big thing we have, our relationship with him through Jesus. And as we learn this again and again, our character is molded. James 1 verse four says, perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Now Paul is not saying that our suffering doesn't matter or that it won't be intensely painful, but that we know that our sufferings are preparing us for the hope that we look forward to. God lovingly uses our sufferings for good in us. It's a bit like physio. Now, I feel like I've seen far too many physios in my life already um, if you know me you'll know that's true. And have you ever had that kind of massage from a physio that has you writhing around on the bed? Not a nice kind of ooh massage, not one of those, but <clears throat> one where they like press the exact spots and kind of knots with pinpoint accuracy and it goes almost beyond pain to, to almost laughing. It's odd. Well, why do I let them put me through that? because I know that it's for my good I trust that my physio knows what they're doing they're highly skilled and they're kind and they want what's best for me as I put myself in their hands and though it hurts it is for my good now that is a very small imperfect illustration of what's going on here our father uses our sufferings for our ultimate good To refine our faith in Jesus and to help us to cling on to him alone for our hope for the future. And verse 5. And that hope does not disappoint us. Because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. We're assured of God's love because we have his spirit. But how do we know that's not just a feeling from inside us? Well, verse 8 but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If you're a Christian here today, you have the unique ability to rejoice in your sufferings. You have the proof of God's love for you that even when you were an ungodly sinner, Christ died for you. The one big thing you need, you have, You have Jesus. So now you have a sorted relationship with God and you can trust that he uses your sufferings for your joy to give you greater contentment, delight and pleasure in him and in your future hope. Now this is something that the Apostle Paul knew and he also knew suffering. He was imprisoned again and again, beaten with rods, slandered, flogged with lashes five times, stoned to the point that he was thought dead, often deprived of food, water, shelter, sleep. In 2, Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians 11, he basically says he was in danger from everything and everyone, basically. But in chapter 6, he says that he is always rejoicing. And he could write from his prison cell in Philippians 4, rejoice in the Lord always, I will say it again, rejoice. I think it could be quite easy just to bat that away though and just say, well, Paul was abnormal. You know, he was extraordinary and admirable, but he was abnormal. But just take a moment to reflect on the Christians around you who have experienced suffering. In our church, in our families, or Christians whose stories that we've heard. I have seen and know of many Christian men and women, boys and girls, who have gone through trials of many kinds, um, conflict and cancer, bereavement and betrayal, persecution and loss with surprising joy. And you may be able to reflect on times in your own life where that's been the case. Here are a couple of examples, one from church history and one a little closer to home. Um, John Bunyan was a 17th century preacher, and on November the 12th, 1660, um, he was arrested and given an ultimatum, stop or go to jail. He said, I cannot stop preaching, and so began his 12-year imprisonment. Upon news of his arrest, John's wife, Elizabeth, Went into early labor and the child died. He was unable to provide for his wife and for his four children, one of whom, Mary, was blind. He wrote from his cell that he thought his heart would break to pieces. And yet, he writes that during this time, these hardships produced growth in his faith and his delight in Christ. And his understanding of the truths of God's word deepened immensely. He wrote, I never had in all my life so great an inlet into the word of God as now. Those scriptures that I saw nothing in before are made in this place and state to shine upon me. Sometimes when I have been in the savour of them, I have been able to laugh at destruction and to fear neither the horse nor his rider. I have had sweet sights of the forgiveness of my sins in this place and of my being with Jesus in another world. Bunyan had the one big thing sorted in his life, his relationship with Jesus, and so he could find joy in his sufferings. And then there's a Christian family who live in another part of this country and who have a young teenager with a chronic illness and the doctor asked to see the parents and naturally the parents thought that the doctor was gonna let them know what the next stage in treatment was going to be. And the doctor spoke to them without the daughter in the room and said, can you explain to me why your daughter is still joyful? Like she's okay. Yeah, I know that she's in pain all the time. And she talks about her faith and her hope And they explained to them the consistent story of the Bible is that there is joy and thankfulness to God, even in the hardest times. And the doctor said, well, where in the Bible? And they took them to Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And the doctor said, well, tell me another one. And so they did, and they kept going because the doctor just couldn't believe that this was possible. See, having our one big relationship sorted now in the present gives the Christian the unique ability to rejoice in sufferings. We can trust the loving hand of our Father to use them to refine our faith in Jesus and to help us to cling on to him alone for our hope for the future. Instead of robbing us of joy, God can make our sufferings a means to even more. The final rejoice in Romans 5, I don't know if you spotted it, was in verse 11. Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God. The other thing, as well as suffering, which I think robs us, or threatens to rob us of our joy, is envy envy is one of the acts of the sinful nature that's set against the fruit of the spirit in galatians 5. so when you're envious you're basically saying you've got something i don't have and if i had that then i'd be contented have you ever felt like that you ever felt eaten up inside by it when you see someone else's success or good fortune, someone else's health, comfort, financial ease, relationship, time off, fastest record on Strava, whatever it is, and think, I'd be content, I'd be joyful if I had that, or if that was me. Well, Paul says, we rejoice in God. I was chatting to someone last week over coffee about this, and they naturally straight away asked, well, What does that mean? Well, in verse 10, we were God's enemies, living very unjoyful lives as we're facing his wrath for our sin. But now we are reconciled to him through Jesus' death and his life, his living. His resurrection, which confirms that we are reconciled to God. We can rejoice in God because our relationship with him is restored to what it was. The one big thing in life is sorted for the Christian. And we now live in the way that we were made to live, in harmony with our loving creator God, enjoying, delighting, finding pleasure and contentment in him as we were always meant to. And so we needn't be robbed of our joy by envying what others have because we have everything in Jesus. In fact, envy makes no sense. I've been really challenged by this over the last few weeks as I've been preparing this talk. I've been challenged when feeling envious to remind myself, in my head and out loud sometimes, Jack that's not what gives you true joy. So there's no need to be envious. Your joy is in your relationship with God and your hope of the pleasure of living in his glory for eternity. So actually, just relax. You can be content and actually be happy for them. You see how liberating that is. So rather than envy, robbing us of joy, flip it on its head, actually joy can guard from envy. Instead of envy eating us up as we jostle to try and get position and find joy in human things and relationships, we can instead reflect on the joy that we have in our relationship with God, that that is sorted and that all joy is found in him. And there was a guy who been given a free holiday and every, sp- every person he'd spoken to um, had said to him oh you lucky guy in a kind of grumpy way and then he spoke to another person and she said oh, that is amazing that is so good and he said you know you're the first person I've spoken to who hasn't been kind of envious and she said how could I be envious when God has been so generous. If we are enjoying the generosity of God and what he has done for us in Christ, then we can be freed from envy, it actually makes no sense at all, and rejoice instead in God. This of course will be an ongoing struggle, and Christian joy is a fruit that we're growing in. And Paul expects this when he prays for God's help in Romans 15, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. So we rejoice in our hope, in our sufferings and in God. But there's one more thing. We've been speaking about how we can be joyful But Jesus takes it in a very unexpected and surprising direction. When he said to his disciples in John 15, you can have joy like me, he said, your joy can be complete if you love each other. So turn with me to John 15, verse 9 to 14, and that's page 1083. We'll read from verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this love each other as i have loved you greater love has no one than this that he lay down his life for his friends you are my friends if you do what i command the father's joy is in his relationship with his son jesus and jesus's joy is in his relationship with his father expressed in love and just before this chapter jesus says The world must learn that I love the Father and that I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. And what is that? To lay down his life so that those who believe in him may have eternal life. In turn, if the disciples obey his command, they will remain in his love and share in the joy he has. And the command is, verse 12, Love each other as I have loved you." Jesus is saying, I expect that your joy will overflow to others in love and that in this, your joy will be complete. And that's not your joy singular, but it's your joy, plural, may be complete. Joy is actually not about me. And so my point in this talk is not actually, first of all, to make you more joyful, but it's to make you a bringer of joy to other people. And by doing that, Jesus actually says that you will be more joyful. Our world gets this so wrong. Focusing on yourself, on your own contentment, your own pleasure, looking inward, is a recipe for misery. Our world's Joy industry tries to sell us this lie with the latest thing that you need for you to be satisfied. It turns us in on ourselves and means that we can never find the joy that Jesus wants us to have. Jesus's joy turns us outwards. If we engage ourselves with bringing joy to other people, actually we'll find that joy is ours. Because that's what Jesus did that's how he found joy and he wasn't happy all the time think of his lowest point in Gethsemane but that was his joy to do that for us and by loving his friends by laying down his life for them he brings us joy so is that the kind of joy that you're pursuing have you ever experienced that for yourself, when you've done something for somebody else and you've benefited maybe even more than they have? Chris Heron, who's around here somewhere, a few weeks ago was telling me that at the wedding where he was serving everyone else, like relentlessly, food, drinks, you name it, he actually enjoyed that wedding so much more than all the other weddings where he was the one being served As Christians, that really is our joy, and Chris is available if you need him for a wedding. (laughs) I think. John Piper writes in his book, Desiring God, love is the overflow of joy in God that meets the needs of others. The overflow is experienced consciously as the pursuit of our joy in the joy of another. We double our delight in God as we expand it in the lives of others. Here are some examples of this in action in the New Testament. Um, You can look up the passages in your own time. In In 2 Corinthians 7, Paul's joy is in the Corinthians' love for him. They care for him. They're concerned for him. They comfort him in his suffering. Could you do that? Could you do that for someone and increase their joy when they're going through a hard time? When I was a student, I was particularly struggling after my granddad died. And a friend in our church family met up with me, listened to me, opened up the Bible with me to remind me of what was true about Jesus and what he had done. He increased my joy. I wasn't happy, you know, dancing around or anything. But through his care, I was content and delighted again in my one big thing that was sorted, my relationship with God. So how could you increase the joy of those around you with your love and care? In 1 Thessalonians 2, Paul has joy when he hears that they are continuing in faith. He told them the gospel to start with, and so when he hears that they've kept on believing and they're living it out and they're loving each other, he thanks God for all the joy he has because of them. So if you're thinking, I'm not quite sure what I'm achieving as a Christian, you know, I'm turning up to church, I'm trying to live it out, but it's all just very hard or a bit of a hassle. Well, think what joy you could be bringing to someone else just by coming to church every week, showing that you still believe the gospel and enjoy that. And on the flip side, how often do you thank God for other people's faith and love? Because not only is this right and good to do, but as you reflect on what God is doing in another person, that will bring you joy. And finally, in Philippians 1, the Philippians joy will be when they see that Paul is still persevering through suffering. When they see how he has held on to that one big thing, his relationship with God, and kept advancing the gospel in immense suffering, his perseverance serves their joy. Think of those Christians in your life, your family, or in our church family, who you've seen go through suffering with quiet, peaceful contentment, who have found joy in Jesus throughout. I was really encouraged and made more joyful last week by one of our new partners saying that she was thankful for her anxiety because it made her dependent on Jesus and showed her how firm a foundation he is. When we see each other's joyful perseverance in suffering doesn't that bring us joy in our relationship with god we can think wow god is good he is gracious and the hope we have of being in his glory in eternity is certain and worth whatever happens in this life and reverse that when we suffer in big ways or in the daily frustrations and toil of life we can look outwards and know that our keeping on believing actually serves the joy of others. Let's come back to John 15. Jesus says, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. I don't know about you, but I find it very easy to think about joy just being about me and God and that's all I really thought of when I'm starting to think about this talk. And yes, our joy is in our relationship with God personally. It definitely is. But it won't end there. Joy is relational, which is something we're going to keep on seeing about the fruit of the Spirit in this series. Our joy is made complete by bringing joy to others imagine what it would look like for us to live all of this out as a church family not to be an always happy church family but to be an always joyful church family what would that look like it will mean growing in our knowledge and delight in Jesus and what he's done for us rejoicing in God when we suffer we'll know God is working through it and we'll be encouraging each other with the hope that we have. It won't look spectacular or heroic or even necessarily smiley, although a lot of the time it might do, but quiet contentment in the Lord and helping each other to live that out. Serving joyfully, singing these truths to each other with feeling reminding each other of the joy we have, pointing out when it seems that someone is trying to find joy in something else, giving up time to care and love each other and bring one another joy. I could go on, but how wonderful would this be? And of course, this is then just a picture of what we will ultimately be doing perfectly in heaven together, where we'll gather together around the lamb, rejoicing together in him. Let's conclude. We began with the parable Jesus told. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went out and sold all he had and bought that field. Perhaps you're still thinking, that this all just seems too good to be true. This promise of Jesus of eternal contentment, pleasure and delight. That this treasure the man found in the parable, well it's just, it's just not there. If you're not a believer here today, we would love to talk to you, to tell you more about it. We want you to keep coming to see that what Jesus offers is true and a foundation to build your life on that in a restored relationship with God, you can have this joy. And I hope you see that joy in the people here, in the way we talk, the way we sing, just the way we are with each other. So we'd love to chat to you. And if you are a believer here today, you have this treasure. The greatest treasure in the whole wide world. You are in the kingdom of heaven, you have a sorted relationship with God. The man gave up everything in his life, he was impoverished, everyone would have thought he was deluded, he changed his life completely, but he had joy, all contentment, delight and pleasure. And so do you in your relationship with God through Jesus. So let's pray that we would know this, grow in it, and be bringers of this joy to others. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that we can find true joy in you, and that Jesus loved us so much that he gave his life so that we could have this joy in our relationship with you. We're sorry for when we look to other things for this joy. We're sorry for when we envy and for when we're angry at you, for when things happen in our life. Father, help us to know and grow in contentment, delight and pleasure in you. And that you do this through our sufferings as well. And please help us to be real bringers of this joy to each other. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his glory.
0: Amen.